Hello and welcome back to the Tez News Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Morris. We have a half-term analysis special for this week, as I'm joined by Gronya Hallahan to go through a few stories from our analysis desk. Gronya, welcome back. Hello, thank you for having me and only me. This is very exciting. Yes, only you this time is a special one. It's a very special show. To start off then, uh, you had the chance this week to talk to Sir Peter Lample, founder of the Sutton Trust, which aims to improve social mobility and access to higher education for disadvantaged children. Now, this is a fascinating interview. I guess it's, it's one of those articles, actually, I'm almost reluctant to cover on the podcast because you should definitely go and check it out, read it to get the full picture. He's a, he has a fascinating story, hasn't he, Gronya? Oh my gosh. So this was a real, like, I can't believe I'm doing this interview. This is really exciting. There's a few times since I've started working at Tez where I've gone, yeah, this is amazing. Like, I've known about the Sutton Trust for years and years. I can't remember not knowing about the Sutton Trust. Um, when I was in the classroom, I remember um, referring pupils on to, to go to the summer schools um, and to actually get a chance to speak to Peter Lample about, you know, how it all came about and the story of when he first went for lunch and the ideas for the summer schools came about. It was really exciting. And he's such an interesting, a really fascinating man. He gave a great interview, really candid, really honest. And um, mm. it's uh, it's definitely one to make you think. And what I just I don't know when I was when I was typing it all up and thinking about it like what would the world be like if we hadn't had something like the Sutton Trust there like all the children who've gone to university who wouldn't have gone to those universities had this not been in place like it's mm. it really is quite remarkable when you look at everything that he's done it's just it's quite something yeah so really kind of the foundation for all of this is that he experienced kind of personally the benefits of social mobility and then kind of made it his mission to to make sure that others could too, right? Mm, exactly. And not just, it's that classic, you know, I climbed up a ladder and I make sure that I didn't pull it up, let others come up too. And and yeah. more than that, like he's done so much for really disadvantaged children from children, you know, his own background was, was pretty privileged, but he went, he went back to his old old grammar school, found out it was fee paying. I thought, gosh, I wouldn't be able to go to this. My friends wouldn't be able to go to this. Um, you know, what can we do about it? Let's look at, um, you know, the access that people have to to those red brick universities. What's there to encourage these other children to to apply? And he was met with, well, you know, they don't apply, they don't get in. Um, and he wanted to change that. And he is an incredibly wealthy man and has used that money for so much good. And in this country, there's lots of people who earn money and make money like Peter Lample does, but they don't all spend their time and efforts making sure that other people have the opportunity to better themselves through their education and get him started on what we need to change about the school system. Boy, like that, so that's at the end of the piece. <laughs> and he was really emphatic. You know, I don't think it was really hard to do it justice in print to get across just how strongly he feels that what we have mm. is not a comprehensive system. We don't have comprehensive. We don't have comp comprehensive education. And he was talking. He's so knowledgeable in this. Was talking about you know how in Germany it's truly comprehensive. They only have state schools, nothing but state schools. And he's also really. He's so realistic. Like, right, we can't. We're not just going to get rid of private schools. They're they're here to stay. What can we do then? You know, they're good schools. You don't want to get rid of these schools. What can we do? And he's got so many ideas about outreach. I think the work that he's done so far is just the tip of it, that there's still so much more that there is to do. And I think he's got a real appetite for changing 
the system that we have. And, you know, it's, it's just great that we've got people like him who are going to change it because it's, um, it's action, not words. And yeah, it's, it was a really, it was a great interview to do, really fun to write up. And I, I hope lots of people read it and get all fired up. Like, I mean, I I like that point you make there about kind of how realistic he is with his aims, because he does, he does mention like, if he had a magic wand, it would look like this, but he can't, he can't just change to a comprehensive system. We've got all of these, we've got these independent schools and we, they're good schools, like you said. So it's about trying to work with the system that we have to kind of nudge it in that direction, isn't it? So yeah, like you said, really interesting read. Absolutely. And it's just that, you know. Something has to be done. We can't just leave it. We have to do it. I think it's, it's a really inspiring one. It's, you know, it's a good one for the weekend. It's a good one to read over the weekend to make you, to get rid of that Sunday blues about going back to work on Monday because the jobs that teachers do, I think you can lose sight of just how transformative it is. Mm. You can just feel like, you know, what I do is I plan and I teach and I mark work and, you know, I'm not really making any big changes. It's making huge changes. It's such an important job. And I think, this interview really gives power to that. It makes you makes you remember just how amazing the work that is done in schools is, and um, yeah, yeah, it's it's a good piece to to boost your feeling of yeah, I do a good job, I do an important job. It's a good one for that. Yeah, I mean, talking about trying to meet the needs of all students. Our next story is is taking a look at the results of the multiplication tables check. And just now, as I mentioned that, I'm having flashbacks of you quizzing me last time we talked about this. I, I think I did all right, if I recall correctly. And you were brilliant. You're, I mean, gosh, you're a lot better than me. So yes, this, was, this all came about back from, as you correctly remembered, when we did a big in-depth look at the multiplication tables check test. So that was the new, mm-hmm. another assessment that they've given to primary schools. Cheers obviously broke out across the land everywhere at that news. Um, and it's a funny test. It's a, you know, we, we talked about this a lot on, on this podcast before, but on what the test entails, but it's a, it's a check. It's um, the most common result was getting all of them right, because as I can hear my, my old maths teacher's words ringing in my ears, if you know your tables, you know your tables, but you either know them or you don't. I invariably didn't. Um, but that didn't let that hold me back. So we had to look at all this data and something that Dan and I both picked out um, was that what what this sort of weird anomaly that students with SEN either didn't take the test or they took it and did really, really well. And mm. it got us thinking like about, well, who doesn't take these tests? Like who who do these tests not meet the needs of and why aren't they taking them? And we had a, a, a real deep dive. Like it's this was a, a beast of a piece. I spent hours and hours and hours on this, like interviewing people, getting my head round how the systems work, like why aren't they working? What could we do? Talking to, I spoke to an awful lot of special school teachers as well about how assessments look for, for their students and, mm. you know, is, is there a solution? And the brilliant thing was I was, I was speaking to, um, to uh, James Pembroke and he was mm. saying, you know, there's this education and skills um, policy document and they were, they came up with this idea. They talk about adaptive, adaptive testing and so, sounds interesting I spoke to them and it looks like you know this could be the future and what's really exciting is we already have a test that works like that so 
let's sort of rewind a bit. What's wrong with the tests at the moment? Well, they're paper-based and you go along and some, for some children, they just are faced with question after question that they can't answer. Mm-hmm. At the beginning of the test, it's a typical way that all tests work. First few questions are the easiest ones and then they get progressively harder as you work your way through the test. And so for many of our pupils, they take these tests and are just faced with question after question that is impossible to them or, you know, they can try and answer, but they can't answer it. And I was talking to um, some experts over at NASAN, the National Association for Students with Educational Needs, and they were, you know, describing how for those pupils, it can be a huge turn off for school. You know, you get through the school year, you feel like you're doing, <laughs> doing really well, you're trying to access the full curriculum. And then you're faced with a test where, yeah, you can answer some of it. And the tests are designed to, to get marked on the full range of the scale. They know there'll be children taking these tests who can only answer five or six questions. And, you know, what does that do for their feelings about education, about themselves, their self-esteem, how they compare themselves to their classmates? You know, at a really young age, we're saying to them, you know, this is a world where you can't meet the mark. And it's, you know, that's, is that good enough? Can we do it a better way? Is there a better way of doing it? And the idea of the adaptive testing is that you do a computer test and as you give answers to your questions, the questions will then become progressively more difficult. A little bit like the um, reception baseline assessment where you have, um, each child does a, does a different number of questions. Like you, there's 32 possible questions, but not all children will be asked all 32. The test stops soon as it hits that ceiling of, you know, you can't, can't go any higher, you can't answer anything any, any more difficult. And adaptive testing would work in exactly the same way. And it's really exciting mm. because Scotland and Wales have already moved to this system. But, you know, I spoke to some people from Scotland and Wales and yet there's a lot of excitement about it. Like, this, is, this is good, but it's that trusting the algorithm. And as everybody I spoke to <laughs> made the point of, yeah, this would be really, really great. But we've got to have a reliable algorithm that can accurately stop the test when it should be stopped, that does route you through uh, a mm-hmm. program that asks you the right questions at the right times. Because, of course, if we have a testing system which is stopping the test too early and consequently not showing the full ability of students, well, that's not great either. And, you, you know, you've also got the issue of, testing kids on computers like with that disadvantage those that don't normally work on computers and we know mm. that children from disadvantaged backgrounds don't have the same access to technology so we're taking a test using a method of assessment like a mode of assessment that's not their usual way of working with that further disadvantage them etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's not it's not a, a perfect solution but looking at and speaking to to lots of different people who who are knowledgeable in this area say, you know, we can't just say, oh, these tests don't work for children with special educational needs. End of story. Like we need to think, how can we change testing to make sure that those children don't become like those ghosts like we write about in the piece? Like it's, they're not, they're not just left out because all progress is important to, to celebrate, isn't it? (laughs) It's not. And yeah, there's an ultimate issue of accountability. But I think for me personally, like more important than that, I think we should think about the experience of a child going through the school system and what it's like for them to be continually tested and yeah. what, what that does for their feelings about themselves and about education. 
Yeah, I think it's really interesting to kind of take a look at that that problem rather rather than looking at it as like a a knowledge based problem or a a problem with perhaps slower processing of information. Instead, it's a it's a problem of not reinforcing that kind of learned helplessness that they might have from from failing these tests. And instead, you're giving them a a pathway through the test that lets them lets them test their knowledge, but also doesn't doesn't reinforce this idea that you're you're incapable of of achieving yeah oh my gosh and I think it's something that a lot of teachers would recognize particularly those that teach older pupils who've gone through testing so you know those in key stage two key stage three key stage four key stage five who have this idea of I'm not good at tests I'm Mm -hmm. not good at English like why do you think that oh I really hated the SATs like I really hated um taking GCSE English and you sort of unpick it and often it's just this this feeling they have about negativity because they found the tests hard. And I think, yeah, you know, a test should be challenging. That's the whole point with we're, we're testing them. But it's also we we can design better assessments. Like that's yep. without a doubt, we can design better assessments. And I think it's now a matter of when are we going to do it rather than should we? We know we should. When are we going to do it? Mm-hmm. There's there's another side to to this as well, I guess the numbers here, because we did talk on the podcast before about attendance and how attendance numbers are lower for SEN pupils. Is there an element here that it's not always about kind of their their isolated ability to complete a test, but also their overall engagement in the curriculum? Completely, and you know, attendance in school is a really big focus at the moment. I feel like everyone's talking about attendance and. About time too, because if you look at everything, all outcomes, it usually boils down to attendance. We know that children with special educational needs attend school less. Like that's in the the data that we get every single year from um, when they look at the the student pupil attendance rates, and that feeds into how well they perform in tests. Because of course, the more time you're in school, the more teaching time you get, and consequently, we'll be able to perform better in assessments. Um, and another piece that was, you know, really, really important this week was Callum's one, Callum Mason, who's our, one of our reporters who wrote, a, wrote up about the new DF, the Department of Education attendance guidance. And in mm-hmm. there is a really interesting change about um, advising schools not to reduce timetables to manage behaviour. Yeah. Um, and this is something that any pastoral lead will will be familiar with heads of year all all across the country will be like yeah part-time timetables this is this is something that we they have to try and sort of negotiate and it's something that I know from my like speaking to agencies like CAMS um that's the mental health service for children um that pupils will often request part-time timetable <laughs> I've heard of it heard of it being talked about as like a negotiation I, I want a part-time okay. timetable what do I need to say to get my part-time timetable and it's something that, um, you know, it's it's a tricky one for schools because it's um, it's a way of seeing, right, let's try and get the kids kids into school. You know, a, a part-time timetable is better than not being in a, in a tool. But the I, it feels like there's a pushback from the Department for Education saying, no, you know, this is they're being used too much. We need to get kids into school all the time and that's more important. And it feels like... Um, putting schools in a really tough position because on the one hand they're being told to improve their attendance and at the other 
one of the tools that they can use to improve attendance for non-attenders, part-time timetable, um, is being taken away from them. Like, don't use it for behaviour. It's like, oh, right, okay. And I can see, I can see the bigger picture. They don't want it to be misused, but at the same time, I feel like we're also not really tackling the problem of why we're having to use part-time timetables in the first place. And most people, I think, would agree with me that it's the underfunding of um, mental health and social care that we have as a country. Like this is a problem that schools can't solve, but one way they can solve it is by offering a part-time timetable. And now that's being taken away from them. Oh, like it's, yeah, it's, it's a really tough one. Yeah. They're trying to, um, they're trying to address what they see as a problem here. They're taking away what schools are using as a tool to address this issue, but without fixing the issue in, in the, in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's like asking people to bang in nails and then taking their hammers away. (laughs) Okay. So how are we going to get the nails in? Like we know the nails need to go in, but I, you know, we're still going to need to whack them into the wall somehow. So Mm. yeah, it's, um, it's a tough one. And I think that the, it's all very well saying, yep, we need to drive attendance up, but how are we going to do it needs to be addressed. Well, as I said at the at the top of this podcast, today's stories are all well worth a read. Grania, thank you for joining me again to take us through these. Thank you for allowing me to monologue for such a long time without interruption. <laughs> My favourite thing. No, it's great listening to you talk about these these stories that you've been working on there. As you said, going through the data, it's nice to be able to get it all out of there, I think. So, yeah. Oh, it's been great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Grania.